Have you ever had that friend where it seems simply impossible to cement a plan with? Like, you really want to hang out with this person. They're your friend, and, and, and you try, and you try, and you try, and they always say how much they really want to. How they can't wait until it all works out. But, oh, you know, they're always busy. Or they, they, it's never a good time, or they just don't get back to you, and, and you end up never hanging out with them, and you're trying to make a plan for the weekend. They're like, I'm sorry, I'm just so busy, I can't do it. And then you hop online, and you go on, Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, depending on your generation. You see pictures of them at home and their PJs, hashtag lazy weekend. Like, what the heck, man? I was trying to hang out with you, lazy weekend. And you kind of start to realize, even though they say they're your friend, they never really show you they're your friend. And you think, huh, maybe... They don't like me as much as I like them. And I wonder how God must feel when we say we are Christians and we proclaim him as our Savior and then we keep choosing other things over him. Ouch! Did that hit you? That hit me. Our series so far, Hope from Heaven, focuses on how amazing heaven is. We talked about that God has prepared a place for us, for those who believe in him. There is a prepared place reserved for us to be in complete union with God forever in our heavenly home. We also talked about how the one, there's a wonder in the idea that Jesus left that place of heaven to come down for us, to prepare us for our prepared place in heaven. That there's nowhere God won't go. There is nothing that God won't do to draw us closer to him, all out of his unfailing love. And yet, I wonder if we have somehow lost a deep, heart-level yearning for heaven. A deep, heart-level yearning to see Jesus face to face. If we were to ask, be asked that question, I believe, like me, most of you would say, of course I want that. Yeah, I want that. But how well do our lives, our actions, and our words reflect that desire? Pastor Kevin, I thought this was uh, <clears throat> the Sunday of joy. <laughs> I promise we will get there. But there's some challenge along the way that we must navigate to experience and find and receive that joy. So instead of, instead of putting your guard up, I encourage you to lean on in, all right? And hear what God may have for you. We're going to look at a parable of Jesus. Jesus used parables often to teach, uh, and, and they tell layers of truth within them. And this one has some difficult truth that we're going to grapple with as we contend to find our joy. So we are going to look at Matthew 22. It's 1 through 14. We're going to do it in three sections. It'll be on the screen. You're invited to turn. Matthew 22, if you'd like to follow along. Hear now the true word of the Lord. 
Jesus spoke to them, that, that is the, uh, the Pharisees, he spoke to them again in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. So then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fat and cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business, and the rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. Welcome to Hope Church. Let's pause there and make sure we know what is going on with all these details. Jesus used these parables often to try and describe the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? What's the kingdom of heaven like? That is, it's God's reign over all. The kingdom we know is both here presently, but it's also not yet not fully realized. God's reign is established. He rules over all, but it's not yet fully realized here on earth as it is in heaven. But Jesus gives us better understanding on how life under God's perfect reign, and that is what he's sharing in this parable, especially as it concerns heaven. So in this parable, the king represents God. The Son represents Jesus, the Messiah. We know the church of Jesus Christ. It's often referred to as the bride of Christ. And here we have the Son referred to as the bridegroom. And you get that sense of Jesus' love for you as you imagine him standing at a wedding ceremony, anticipating, longing for us to come to him, just like the bride comes up down the aisle to the groom. And you see here, the king gives out two invitations. This was the cultural norm of that day. The first invitation was going out to all those who are invited to the celebration. Hey, having this wedding banquet, you are invited. We would love for you to come. We see that went out. And, and then the second one, the second invite always would happen when all the preparations were ready. Maybe the fattened calf took a little extra long to cook or whatever, but eventually the meal was ready, everything was prepared, so the second invite goes out and they come. Now, being invited to a prince's wedding should have been an enormous deal, you would think. You don't really pass up that kind of opportunity. But here we see the entire guest list persistently refused the invitations, both the first and the second time. And they don't just politely refuse, do they? Some completely ignored the invitation, and they went about their own business, their own business they had believed to be more important than feasting with the king. One went off to his field. I kind of liken that to kind of like he went off to his man cave, right? To do whatever you do in a man cave. One went off to his business, drowning himself in his work. 
But what did the rest do? The rest, indicating perhaps the majority of them, seized the king's servants, mistreated them, is what the text says. That can be any number of awful things, and killed them. Whatever happened to a polite no thank you? Now the king had already very graciously offered that second invitation, even after the first invitation was completely ignored. And then he went above and beyond. He described how great this feast was going to be when he shared with them the quality of the food. They even prepared that fattened calf. These folks thought their boring lives and mundane daily business were more appealing than a feast for the ages with the good and gracious king. And in a parable, boy, is it so easy for us to point our fingers outward and be outraged at those wedding guests. But we know we are compelled to place ourselves in those same shoes, place ourselves in that text, and confess, admit, name before Almighty God that we are no better than those no-shows. How many times do we choose our own mundane and selfish desires over an invitation from our good and gracious King? Now, each of us here, we, by being here, have, have evidence that we live with a certain amount of comfort. We have a certain amount of comfort. We have food in our fridge We have endless opportunities for entertainment. We have the freedom to work as we choose, to live as we choose, to worship as we choose. Some of us have a car. Some of us have more cars at home than people. Some of us have more pets at home than people. We all have hobbies. We have an overwhelming amount of things constantly combating us for our time and our attention. And we have bucket lists. Some of us actually write out our bucket list. Some of us actually write out our bucket list on a bucket. Anyone do that? (laughs) Do I have a bucket? No, no. A list of those long lists of things you want to do before your time on earth is up, which is not at all in and of itself bad. I'm not here to shun the bucket list. In fact, I think someone should write one on a bucket. That's kind of fun. But what I am here to discuss, what we are considering together is the very real danger of us getting caught up in the comforts and the pleasures of this world, that when Jesus' invitation comes to us, we even have to think about it. We should never have a pause. We shouldn't have to think about it. Or that when Jesus' invitation comes, we say yes with our words, but we don't do anything with our lives to back that up. Like those invited to the wedding banquet. Have we gotten too caught up in the comforts and the pleasures of this world that we have lost a passion-filled yearning for Christ? Let's pick up our parable with verse 7. The king was enraged. He sent his army. He destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Let's pause there. (laughs) Now, this seems kind of harsh at first, right? Can we say that? Like, whoa, king, that's a strong reaction. But remember, consider the king. 
They have twice refused an invitation from the one who reigns over them. Okay, the king, he, he ruled over all these people he invited. So all that they have is because the king allows them to have it. All they have is because perhaps the king gave it to them. So he's destroying what was never theirs in the first place. What more? They've twice denied his son by refusing to celebrate with him. And in their refusal, they turned violent. They did not receive the words of the servant of the king. They did not treat kindly those who served the king. And they murdered those who simply sought to be faithful by fulfilling the king's wishes. In a kingdom culture, though it is difficult for us to swallow, this action by the king is completely just. But what else does this show us? Think of those messengers for a minute. Those that faithfully serve a good and gracious king will be ignored. There are times when those will be met with rudeness, with undeserved anger, and while we don't experience this nearly as much in our neck of the woods, certainly it rings true for our brothers and sisters across this world who may be attacked and even killed simply for believing in God. When we live for the true king and the kingdom of heaven, this earthly world will not understand. It does not compute. This earthly world will seek to pull you in and away from the work that the king has set before you. This earthly world will seek to seduce you with its empty promises that can never satisfy our souls, for that can only come for the one who formed you in his image. But at the end of a life of faith, you will be welcomed home by your good and gracious king. While those who opposed him, who ignored him, who hate him, who turned away from him, will be met with justice. Let's conclude our passage picking up from verse 8. So then the king said to his servants, The wedding banquet, it is ready. But those I invited, they, they did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners. Invite to the banquet anybody you find. So the servants, they went out into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a, a man was there not wearing wedding clothes. Just notice, just one man not wearing wedding clothes, meaning everyone else was. And he asked, how, how did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And I find that word important. This is a gracious question. This isn't an accusatory question. This is a gracious question. But the man was speechless. He had no answer for the king. He had no good reason to not be wearing the wedding clothes. So then, because of that, the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of the Lord, and we give thanks to God even when it's hard to grapple and wrestle with. So the good and gracious king of heaven and earth, 
he extends his invitation to all. None of us deserve this invite, but the king invites all the same. All are invited. The only requirement is to be clothed in the clothes of righteousness, which only come by proclaiming Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is through Jesus Christ alone and only through Jesus Christ that we may enter the home that we were created for only way we can enter our heavenly home. But like this parable, though the invitation goes out to all, though the invitation is to life and love and fullness and completeness, though the invitation is unmatched by anything else we can ever fathom, many are invited, but only a few accept the invitation. That phrase, many are invited, but few are chosen, it means God, he casts his net wide. And who are the chosen? It's those who answer that answer by calling him Lord. Those who put on the clothes of righteousness through believing in Jesus's death and resurrection. You see, in Jesus's time, this is kind of a strange thing for us to fathom, this whole wedding clothes idea. But in Jesus's earthly time, it was customary for wedding guests to be given wedding clothes to wear to the banquet. They were given by the host. Here's your wedding clothes. It was un thinkable to refuse to wear those clothes. It'd be an immense slap to the face of the host. It would insult the host who could only assume the guests believed themselves better than them. It was an arrogant move. They thought they didn't need these clothes or that they didn't even want to be a part of the wedding celebration. Those clothes represent the righteousness needed to enter God's kingdom which we only gain because of who Jesus Christ is, what he has done, and us believing in him and saying, you are worthy, I am not. You are sinless, I am sinful, but you have made the way, you have defeated death, and because of you, I can live with you forever because you are my Savior and my Lord. And when we do that, we are given our clothes of righteousness, and we are given our invitation to the prepared place that he has prepared in advance for us in heaven to be with him forever at his heavenly banquet. Many are invited, but few are chosen. And I wonder, those who refuse the invite, we know how that goes. There are those that turn away from God or don't believe in God or, or, or just cannot, cannot, understand in their own way and give themselves to God. But there are also those who say they love God, but perhaps their lives don't reflect that belief. I, forgive me if I forget who said this. A pastor had said this. It's a quote. Most people are satisfied with a thimble full of God when there is a whole ocean available. Like the story I began this message with about the friend. A story we can all relate to, I believe. Words only go so far. Your friend may be sincere in wanting to be your friend, but it doesn't matter if the action never backs it up. Presence, time, our heart, doing what we say we'll do, that is what matters. This is where it will get a little bit harder before we feel and find the joy. But we're getting there, I promise. Perhaps the most challenging passage for me 
to wrestle with in my own faith journey is found in Matthew 7. This is what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father in heaven. Some will say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, I never knew you. That is a stark warning for us believers, my friends. We know that our salvation is secured because of Christ's work. But here he is saying, there are some that may proclaim me. There are some that will say the words or whatever, but on a heart level, they never believed. They never gave in to follow me. And here he is saying, I never knew you. Can you imagine anything worse to hear from your Savior, your God, your King, who formed you and loves you? But we know that's the case. We read John 1 last week, and it says, though, though he was from, he entered the world, the world did not receive him. Though he created them, they did not know him. And then in 2 Peter, we get an encouragement to be diligent, to make sure you really are among these that God has called and chosen. An older, uh, uh, old school term is work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That kind of freaks the heck out of us, right? <laughs> like, oh man! But there is something profound within that. Can you imagine believing your salvation is secured because at camp when you were two, not two, whoa, that'd be a way to go, 12 or something. Say, oh yeah, I believe in God. And you just go about your business. At the end of your life, you find, I never believed, not on a deep level. Be diligent to make sure you really are among those God has called and chosen. That comes after uh, the author Peter here, Peter is given us instruction on how to live a fruit-filled life, a faithful life, to be diligent in our walk with Christ, essentially to put into action what we believe. So my encouragement is to read Second Peter 1 as an encouragement to find within that a, a helpful way to go about that. But let's be downright honest. Let's be downright honest. There are a lot of things I don't like about being a Christian. <laughs> Can I say that? I said it. I'm not taking it back. Think about it. We have a lot of sinful desires within us. I want to eat whatever I want to eat. I want to be so selfish. I want to say whatever comes in my mind. When someone is, is, is aggravating me, oh, I just want to tear them down so badly sometimes. I just want to give in and sin like crazy. That's the human struggle. That is within each and every one of us. None of us are perfect. Each of us wrestle with that reality. And yet, that's also to live into that is to buy into a lie as old as this world. Because there is a much better way. As appealing as that is, it is on a very shaky ground, and it is false and empty promises. 
Now, this is about the struggle with sin, right? And in fairness, our wrestling with sin, it is a human condition. We know none of us will be perfect. We know that's not the case. But, and we're all trying to navigate this. We're trying to do our best. We're, we're going to God, asking for his forgiveness when we mess up. All those things. It's an ongoing, lifelong battle. And we're not, but we're not really talking here about sin management. Just, just sin less and things will be good. That's not what we're talking about. It's part of it. It's, it's more about our underlying desire our underlying hunger, our appetite to reawaken that joy of the Lord that we first experienced when we first encountered him. Do we crave the things of heaven? If you have a strong craving, there's just about anything you will do to satisfy that craving. Know what I mean? If it is like 11 p.m., I'm craving my flaming hot Cheetos, I know I'm going to regret it, Darn it, I will satisfy that craving if I don't have self-control. But do we crave the things of heaven? See, the indisputable, incomparable goodness of God is available for us. But are we settling for the dust of the earth, for things that will rot away and will never last? Because Jesus Christ, he came into this world at Christmas, not so we might keep on living as we always have, No, he came to show us a different way, to give us the way out of the struggle for once and for all. We know heaven is going to be way better than we can ever fathom. And Jesus leaving heaven is a greater sacrifice than we can even imagine. And him going to the cross is uncomparable. So our response to this incredible and great gift the best gift the world has ever received. What's it going to be? To ignore it? Like those at the wedding feast? Or to respond in kind? To accept with, with awe this gift of grace? And to long to try and do our own to pay it back? We can't pay it back, but we are called to pick up our own cross and carry it daily. We are called to do the tough, gritty work of battling that sin nature day in, day out, under God's umbrella of grace and mercy as we wake up and we try to do better again. We can choose to live for our heavenly home, for that's where our citizenship lies, instead of for our temporary missional lodging that is this earth. So what do we do? How do we respond? We embrace a lifetime of Advent expectancy because God is still at work and he is actively making things better for those who love and trust him as he continues to fulfill his purposes. We expect to see God each and every day as he's tirelessly at work. We prepare ourselves for the moment that we will come face to face with the one who breathed us into existence. We seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness by putting our relationship with him first and investing in him first. We daily pick up our cross. That means bring on the struggles and the pain and the sorrows and, the, and the, the misunderstandings from others, and we do the sacrificial work we are called to carry. It's to remember our citizenship. It is not of this earth. 
It is in heaven. So we're going to store up our treasures in heaven, not here where moth and rust destroy. We're going to keep our eyes on the prize and do all we can to let heaven break through here on earth. We know it's not about perfection. It's about progress. It's about relationship. With a God who forgiveness overcomes all. So we will live in that grace, but we will not abuse that grace. We will embrace the wonder of Christ like the wonder of awaiting a bride coming down the aisle or the wonder of a child the morning of Christmas. Ephesians 2 reminds us that Satan is the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that is, the ruler of the earth, though he's been dealt the death blow and he is actively bleeding out because God reigns supreme. But Satan is the liar, the deceiver, and he is good at what he does. He's the best at what he does. He's uh, insidious. Yeah. That is why we constantly feel the pull to embrace a world of comfort, a comfort-driven lifestyle where the heavenly way seems unappealing and the earthly way seems tempting and good. That is Satan's big fat lie. That's what happened in the garden all those years ago. Eat the fruit. It's the better way. No, it's the way that leads to destruction. He is seeking to trap each and every one of us with the allure of worldly things that bring nothing but our complete destruction. But Jesus Christ came at Christmas so that we might be free to experience life in him to the fullest. Like that pink candle reminds us, it's pink in part because though the light is not yet here and we have more darkness to travel, there is always hope because it is coming. A change is coming. Just hang tight. Hang in there. Trust God is with you. This is the good news, because we already have all we need in Christ. And the never-ending quest for more, we can choose him and be filled and fulfilled. As we look heavenward, We have hope that all of our sacrifice, our toil, our struggle will be over because Christ paid the ultimate cost and he has a place for us as we seek his kingdom and we forsake our own. We make this place of earth better and our hearts prepared for the blessing of heaven so that when we see our Savior face to face. He won't say, I don't even know you, but he will say, my friend, my child, my beloved, welcome home. That is our cause for joy. That is the joy we have no matter what you are going through, no matter what hardships you're faced with, no matter what struggle, what temptation, what sin, what what complacency, you can choose him today and experience again his joy here and now. Because when he came, the heavens sang, the angels proclaimed, here is the good news of great joy, is that Jesus Christ came to this world for you to bring him back to him. God invites us. May we not hesitate to run toward him. May we remember what matters. May we remember who we are 
and whose we are. As children of the one true good and gracious King. Praise God. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the gift of Christmas, for the gift of your son, Jesus, for the gift of knowing you, the gift of your grace that always extends and never retreats, the gift of your forgiveness that is forever and ever here and available to us. Forgive us, Lord, for when we choose to go our own way and not your way. But through the power of your Spirit, inspire us to serve you as you desire, to live for you. God, none of us here want to say that we believe you, but not live as though we do. None of us desire that, but we get off track, God. So in your loving mercy, draw us back into your way and your path. We thank you that encouragement is always found in you, that, our, that love is always found in you, that there's joy always found in you. We admit the ways we are unfaithful, yet we celebrate that you invite us all the same. Because of the work you have done, you make us righteous. You give us our clothes of righteousness so that we may reside with you forever. We proclaim the truth that you have been born into a bitter and broken world to create a way for us. The light of the world will never be snuffed out by the darkness. We thank you for that truth, God. We offer ourselves to you once more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.